Good morning. Um, the reading is taken from Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 50, to Luke 24, verse 35. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the, from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must, must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene. Jonah, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciples. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers 
handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the, the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter the glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us he talked while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. All right, well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, before I begin, let me open in a word of prayer for us as we unpack this passage, this section this morning. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you for the songs that we can sing and the, and the reminders that we've had this morning of the hope that we have in you. And Lord, as we unpack this passage this morning, may we realize how deep that hope truly runs. And Lord, as we do so, may it really and truly burn in our hearts that it is the thing that we want to share most to those around us. May these things not just float around in our heads and drift out uh, as we leave the place, uh, leave this hall this, this morning, but may it truly stir us, stir us up to proclaim the wonder, the amazing reality, uh, the good news of who you are. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get started with uh, the sermon in and of itself, I just wanted to quickly share. Uh, Ludwig and I, we attended Synod this, this uh, last week. And uh, just a quick report back, um, it was my first one, and it was really, really incredible. Um, I was, I sat there in actual awe um, of the privilege that it is to sit with so many men and women 
that are so convicted and so impacted by the gospel that, uh, yeah, we can come together and meet in the way we did um, and to hear how Christ has transformed lives. Um, you see it in the way they conduct themselves. You see it in, a, in the way that they are doing things and the way they're talking to one another. And you, you truly see the gospel at work uh, in that environment. And I wish we could all have been there in one sense to, to witness that, uh, but to really see um, God's hand at work uh, in that dynamic. And, and there's a whole lot of other things that could be said about it, but that's just my my perspective that I experienced as a first one, and I thought it was really incredible. So please keep praying for things like Synod, but uh, these guys that are around the country that we're serving together, um, and brothers and sisters sitting like us this morning and the rest of this day, uh, not just part of our denomination, but globally so. It's such a reminder when you come together like that, that you're meeting for such a bigger cause than just yourself. So it really is amazing. Um, so that was a privilege. Uh, and you can ask further questions if you want later. But uh, yeah, so we praise God for that. So, All right, to jump in this morning, uh, as you can see, your title is maybe a little bit peculiar. Uh, I've titled it The Walking Dead. Uh, have any of you heard of that phrase before? It's a popular TV series. Anybody heard of the TV series, The Walking Dead? Uh, I avoid it at all cost. Um, I don't like the idea of it so much. If you're not sure what it is, I've put a brief little description at the top there. It says, Sheriff Deputy Rick Grimes wakes up from a coma to learn the world is in ruins and must lead a group of survivors to stay alive. Um, no, that doesn't count as today when you woke up and realized the world is in ruins. Uh, it was far more severe, so let me quickly describe it a little bit more in detail. Uh, based on a comic book series written by a guy called Robert Kirkman, this gritty drama portrays life in the months and years that follow a zombie apocalypse. Uh, led by former police officer Rick Grimes, his family and a group of other survivors find themselves constantly on the move in search of a safe and secure home. But the pressure each day to stay alive sends many in the group to the deepest depths of human uh, cruelty, and they soon discover that the overwhelming fear of survivors can be more deadly than the zombies walking among them. Uh, that's a description of this series, so if you haven't watched it um, and you are a sensitive viewer, please don't watch it. Uh, don't watch the trailer if you are a sensitive viewer. Uh, I watched it and Zahn was sitting next to me and she quickly covered her head and I turned away a couple times. But this is a series that's uh, really popular at the moment. It's a massive thing. People have watched it. I think there's now 10 seasons or something going. So people keep coming back. There's this weird and peculiar obsession with uh, zombie apocalypse kind of things. So you might look at me and go, Sean, why are you talking about zombie apocalypse? It's a Sunday morning and we just read about Jesus. Well, it's a peculiar setting in one sense. If you look at this passage this morning, uh, if you think of the sections that you have, uh, they're preparing to bury Jesus. They're pre preparing to embalm him. Now, Ludwig briefly touched on this last week, but I I'm picking up here again just to feel how it progresses and where it goes. But here's these women. They're ready to, to actually embalm him with uh, perfumes and spices. And there they leave his body uh, over the Sabbath. They leave it because they can't do anything else. Sabbath has arrived. And so they go off. And the most peculiar thing is 
They come back two days later, and his body is gone. And this could be a scene of one of two things. Either something very strange and a conspiracy is at work, or something truly has happened and he has raised like he said he would. And for some, this is a frightening thing. If you see the responses of the women in this, in this, uh, by the tomb, they are scared. They fall to the ground when these beings, these angels that look like lightning appear, they're on edge. They're nervous. What is happening? Jesus' body is gone. Strange people are appearing. It seems as though they were asleep for a little bit too long and something has drastically changed in the world around them. Last they checked, their, their Lord and Savior was being nailed to a cross and carried off into a tomb, and they rose a couple days later to find he is gone. And then you have this story that unfolds on the road to Emmaus, where this man appears with these two men walking. A very curious man, asking a bunch of questions, seems to have missed everything that has just taken place, seems to be out of, seems to be ignorant in one sense to what's taking place, and they can't see who this man is. In fact, they were kept from recognizing who he was. And they're walking, and this man starts to talk to them, to share with them about what the gospel, what the scriptures, what the prophets were saying reminding them of things that had been taught, reminding them of things that they most likely learnt in their childhood. And as he decides he wants to carry on into the next town, they urge him to stay with them. They urge him, please stay with us. It's like whatever, they, whatever words they were hearing him, whatever he was saying was just stirring in them, and they didn't want to leave his company. And so they invite him in, they sit down, and he breaks bread and he gives it to them. And they suddenly see that this is Jesus. They have been walking for the last nearly 11 kilometers with Jesus. The one who died, the one who they are perplexed about, he was walking with them the whole time. If that's not strange enough, he breaks the bread, they recognize him, and he disappears. So the question is, what is going on? Is he alive? Is he dead? Next week you might pick up, is he a ghost? Because they're not sure what exactly is happening here. This is a strange passage if you have to put your feet in the shoes of people of this time. The one that you watch being crucified, his body disappears. And when you come to find it, you encounter peculiar things. Angels like lightning. A man on a road that reveals himself as Jesus once he breaks bread with you and then miraculously disappears. What is going on? What is going on? Well, this is the passage that we're wrestling with this morning. It might seem predictable to you because you know the progression of the story. You understand what has happened here. 
But for them, it must have been perplexing. It must have been absolutely terrifying. Because these are things that are not familiar in a day-to-day life. People's bodies don't just disappear. And people don't just suddenly reappear. And then disappear. And it's no wonder that the apostles' response to the women that come to tell the news, they are pushed aside and said that what they are saying is nonsense. Because the reality is, many of us sitting here this morning would have thought the same thing, whether you want to believe it or not, because it is peculiar. As we move on, just some thoughts to think through with this overview of this passage is a lot of stuff happening. You have both the preparation of the body and when they come to return there's a couple changes. So let's look at the first section 50 to 56 of chapter 23. What I've titled there is this is religion and the Lord of the Sabbath. This is not a Friday after work on, on, uh, in South Africa. It's not Chila time. This is a religious response, okay? If you look at this passage, it wasn't them simply going, it's time to check out, we're done for the day, let's go home. Like so many of us long to do when that clock ticks five o'clock on the Friday, you're done with work. You don't want to look at it again. You don't want to do anything else. It's business orientated, work related. You're done. You're on holiday. You're on weekend. You're resting. Um, For them, it was a little bit more rigid and more religious. So these women were ready. They were busy preparing this stuff, but they couldn't embalm Jesus' body because it was the Sabbath. And so law required that they rest. Law required that they take the time to rest. And this is the nature of, if you've gone, as you've worked with us through Luke, you see there's been this issue of religiosity that comes up time and time again, and especially as it comes around the temple, there's this issue that people give so much attention to the religious leaders and the priests and how they do things. And the temple in and of itself is this place to meet God. But now with Christ who has entered the world, who has died, he is reworking things. And the sad thing is if you had to really dig into the archive of what Luke has been saying, in Luke 6 verse 5, Jesus says this, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ, who's lying there, in their perspective needs to be embalmed, but even in that, The Lord of the Sabbath lies to wait for Sabbath to come to an end. Religion still takes preference over the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus told them he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But for them, the Sabbath still remains more important than the Lord himself. If we move on from chapter 24, verses 1 through to 12, you have this next section where the These women, they return to the tomb. They're now ready. They're looking. And they find that the tomb stone is rolled away. And they're perplexed. 
Jesus is gone. His body is no longer there. And then suddenly two men in clothes, this is verse 4, that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now at first, these women are confused. What, what do you mean, why do we look for the living among the dead? Jesus is dead. We're in the right place. But they need to be reminded and they carry on by saying, He is not here. He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And that you can see in Luke 18, verse 32, verse 30, uh, 32 to 33. There's one spot there where he says it. And he says it actually two other times before that. But Luke 18, verse 32, he says it. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Jesus said it. He told them what would happen. And it took a little reminder for them to remember. Verse 8, 24 verse 8. Then they remembered his words. It was brought back to their memory. Suddenly they were reminded. Jesus did say this. So the women become convinced. They run off to share the news with the rest of the disciples who respond by saying it's nonsense. The only one to truly respond is Peter, who runs off to see if what they have said is true, and he finds it so. But you see, the section, the problem with it is the hearing and perceiving of what Jesus had said. You see, Jesus had told them. Jesus had spelled it out. And when he did, there were responses in those times saying, how can you say this? Don't say this. And Jesus says, Jesus said it, and they forgot it. And they couldn't understand it. And so their hearing and perceiving wasn't in line until they saw it with their own eyes. And they looked into the tomb, his body was gone, and the angels declared that he has risen. And they remembered. Their hearing and perceiving had to be brought back into alignment. And it doesn't help just hearing something. Do you perceive what it means? Do you truly understand what is being said? So unfortunately, for them, they didn't fully understand. They heard it, but they needed that reminder. Do you remember? How often do you hear something and need that reminder that you heard it? I mean, we're peculiar creatures. We need to hear a thing over and over and over and over and over again until it sinks in. 
know. And we're so quick to look at this passage and go, how could they not know? <laughs> no. They needed to be reminded. And they, were, they believed it. They believed it because they had something else. They had seen something else that the apostles had not yet seen. And for that reason, they had to go and share the news. So they ran off with excitement. They ran off to share the news. And Peter runs to the tomb to see it for himself. And then we get to the road to Emmaus. And for many of us, we are familiar with this passage. We are used to it. But perhaps we need to be reminded of also the peculiarity of it. The strangeness of it. I mean, here's these two men walking on this road. And they're having this wonderful discussion. Well, not so wonderful. This heart-wrenching discussion about this prophet that was crucified, this one that they really and truly believed would save Israel, that he would be their salvation, he would be their king. And then along comes a nosy traveler. What are you guys talking about? I love that. Jesus comes along. What, what are you guys talking about? Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? Jesus the one that we thought would be our Lord and Savior has died on a cross. Where have you been the last three days? Weren't you there? Have you heard what Scripture says? <laughs> Jesus turns to them. Do you know what Scripture tells us about this guy? Let me show you. Now understand, this is not a walk from here around the corner. This is about an 11-kilometer walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And depending on how fast they walked, you got time. And he had time to talk to them, share the scriptures, explain the scriptures to them. And as he's talking, something is burning in their hearts. Have you ever felt that? Someone is talking to you, you, you have this feeling in you, you're going, this is, I, I just want to stay in this moment and keep talking about this because it's so good. These disciples are hearing these words and they're resonating in them. And that's why when Jesus wants to carry on, they urge him to come and stay with him. They urge him to come in, come, stay with us. Showing this hospitality, this inviting nature. So as they sit down, Jesus has just shared so much information with them about who what the scriptures are saying and have said about this Messiah. And in that moment, as he breaks that bread, it's like tearing the veil in front of their own eyes. And they see, wow, he is alive. He is living. He is sitting opposite us. We have just walked 11 kilometers with the Messiah. <laughs> and he has risen indeed. And this is amazing. They share in the breaking of bread and they see. And it's amazing that this is the point when Jesus chooses to reveal himself. It's in the breaking of bread, the, the sharing of communion, this humble invitation for him to stay with them, that he reveals himself to them. And their eyes are opened and it all makes sense. That burning in their hearts 
to be in his presence, in his company, all makes sense now. But before they can say anything else, he disappears. Gone. And they talk to one another. And they realize it. This is Jesus, the Messiah. And they don't sit back and contemplate all the things that were discussed. Again, they get up. It is, a, it is nearly dark. And they get on the road and run their 11 kilometers back to Jerusalem because this news can't wait. Who of you have received this kind of news? That it is just so good that nothing could stop you from going out and sharing it. These guys could not contain it. 11 kilometers was nothing. They would run it. They were willing to do it. Their hearts were on fire. It was burning to share this good news. The Messiah is risen. He is risen indeed. Those women were not talking nonsense. We have witnessed him now. Unfortunately, there seems to be another aspect to the story um, because they arrive there and it seems like someone's beaten them to the punch in one sense. Because there it also says in verse 34, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Well, Simon beat them to the punch because it seems like along the way, Jesus had also appeared to Simon. Simon Peter had seen Jesus. The woman had seen something peculiar, but Simon had seen Jesus. And these two men on the road to Emmaus had seen Jesus. And they were just so excited. Imagine the atmosphere in that room. You get back there. And Simon is suddenly saying, he's seen Jesus, and these two guys have seen Jesus, and suddenly there is testimonies to the risen Lord. It's not one witness, not two witnesses, it's three and more, and it's growing. More and more people are starting to see Jesus the resurrected Messiah. Hallelujah! What he said is true. What he said would happen has happened. Now the only problem is there is a question. Is he really dead or alive? Now I'm not going to go into the details of that and why I think that that's still a question. But I think Ludwig will touch on that next week when Jesus appears among them again and their response. So I'll leave you on that cliffhanger for next week. So if you want to hear what's going to happen there, come back next week. But there is this peculiarity of something that's taking place here. There is this rumbling, this Messiah who was crucified on a cross has risen again. And so this brings great significance for us today, as it did for them. And firstly, it is true. What Jesus said would happen is now happening. He said he would rise again from the grave in three days, and he did. And if you choose to believe that, there is hope. There is a true and genuine hope 
Because the fact that he raised, was raised again means that all of what he said is true. That there is hope for you and the person next to you and the other person next to you. There is hope that not only did he rise again, but that you too can be raised into life. So coming back to why, firstly, why I started the way I did with the walking dead, is on one side, this seems to be an apocalyptic, the start of an apocalypse. People are rising from the grave, strange things taking place, people are frightened. And a lot of it sounds like the world that we live in. If you read that one description, that person that wakes from a coma to learn that the world is in ruins and must, be la- and must lead a group of survivors to stay alive. I mean, this sounds like our world, regardless of the zombies. And then further the description, where it actually, they, they say, but the pressure of each day to stay alive sends many in the group to the deepest depths of human cruelty. And it's amazing that a series can capture such things as this. But here with the peculiarity of what's happening, Jesus' resurrection, there is one thing that we know is certain. That he, in this picture, is not the walking dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive more than anybody else in this passage. He's no zombie. He's no ghost. There's nothing strange about him. In fact, there's still something strange about everybody else in the story. So the question is, who is dead in this passage? Well, the reality is, all those that are failing to hear and to perceive and to recognize Jesus Christ as the living Messiah, the living Lord, unfortunately, they are the ones that are dead. If that is us today, if we are failing to recognize that Jesus Christ is alive, then that, by default, leaves us dead. That leaves us on the outskirts. That leaves us as the mess in this world. But through Jesus' resurrection, he is the life. And in him, we are made alive. And so when you look out at the world, your perception starts to change. When you look out from here, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you look at the news and you see the devastation of the world that we are living in and all the stuff that is currently happening around us, there's been so much in the news in the last week and week or two. When you look around us, you are therefore reminded why it looks the way it looks. Because a world that is rejecting Jesus a world that is rejecting to recognize Him as the living Lord and Savior, are living in what can only be described as nearly an apocalyptic wasteland. Not exactly, but that is the setting. People fighting 
People hanging on to every ounce of who they are and what they have. And unfortunately, when you look out into the world, you do see the deepest depths of human cruelty. When Christ is not the one that you believe in. When you are holding on to anything and everything else, then that is what the world is going to look like. But here's good news. Turn to Romans 5 for me. And I think Romans 5 verse 12 onwards sums it up for us. Just listen to this picture that is painted here. And this is playing with that idea of death and life. So Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. You have this incredibly graphic image of what sin and death has done to this world, that it is reigning and broken out across all things, all time. In verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many die by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of, one, of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Is that not amazingly good news? That sin and death can reign through one man, but yet, in Christ, he gives an abundance of life. He gives an incredible gift, a gift of righteousness. Good news? Does this fill you with hope? And in believing in Jesus Christ, trusting that he didn't just die and disappear, but that he died and rose again, and that his life, that life, that conquering of death and coming into life, that he invites us in. That he invites us into that. That we too can have life in him. But if you leave here and are perplexed by the world that we are living in and why it looks the way it looks, remember which man is the world then serving. If the world is serving under the man that brings death, then unfortunately there's, that's why it looks the way it looks. 
But in Christ, it transforms. It restores. It heals. It brings us together like this. I can say now, there is no other reason why we can truly sit here together other than Christ. Because we share in something incredible. We share in the hope of what Jesus has done. That each one of us has access through Jesus into life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it can challenge us, but also remind us that when we look out into this world, it may seem so broken and devastating. And it is truly a sad, sad place, Lord, when we see all the hurt, all the pain, all those that are suffering. Lord, we think of those people that are, are bystanders, because of this broken world that we live in. But Lord, help us to recognize that despite that, that you bring another solution, another option. That we don't need to be overcome by this world if we are in Christ. Because in fact, you are the Lord and Savior who has conquered sin and death. And that though suffering may carry on in this world, we have a hope of life in you. We have a hope that nothing can rob us of that. We have a life in you that is secure. Lord, help us to stand steadfast in you. And as we talk with one another, as we think about you, as we discuss the good news of your gospel, that we will have hearts that are burning to be more and more in your presence, more and more sharing with one another who you are, more and more of those moments where we walk 10 kilometers just talking about you, not worried about how far it is, but more about the company that we get to share it with. So Lord, in our going, May our hearts be on fire. May they be burning for the good news of what you have done for us. That you reach down into this world, into the darkness of all that we see around us. And you've rescued us into your marvelous light. To the hope and love of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.